The psalmist said, I need him every hour. I need him. And oftentimes we forget that how much we need him. We really need him. How many of you have this with you today? Yeah. Let me share something with you. This is like wearing this. If I take this off and I step out, I'm trying to deceive some folks. I'm going into places trying to say, I'm not what? Yeah. But see, when I put this on, just because people see it on this hand, this finger, and everything, they already expect that I'm what? Married. It speaks without me having to what? Speak. When you come into church and you are carrying this, what you are saying is that you love the Lord. And what you're practicing is this. You're hiding the word of God in your heart that you may not what? Sin against God. But when you come into church without this, what you're saying to people is this. That don't matter. I've come to church to have a good time. I've come into church to do this. I'm coming to church to watch everybody else. I'm not coming to church expecting God to what? Speak to me. If the Holy Spirit's going to speak to you, he's going to speak to you, first of all, from right here. From this word. And then he'll begin to speak. You might get caught on one scripture and go no further. For you and the Holy Spirit will stay right there. And you'll hear him. Because what's important is that you don't hear Pastor Brown. You don't hear Gus Brown. You don't hear man. What's important is that you really hear from God. That's what's important. But without this, you're not going to hear from me. Without this, you're saying, in a sense, I'm shutting God out. But this book, you cannot read it enough. And every time you go into it, do this. Try to forgive what you already know and discover something new. It's good to know what you know, but there's so much more in here. So much more. Amen? Sin. It's that thing that we're always fighting against. And, and somehow we, we're always tussling with it. And, and yet we, we just don't know what to do with it. But it's always there. And we're troubled by it. Listen to one of the songwriters. I wandered far away from God. Does that sound familiar? And we get out there sometime and we say, how did I get out there? 
But he said, I wandered far away from God. Now I'm coming home. That's a choice. I'm coming home. That's a choice. The path of sin too long I trod. How many have been out there too long? And some have been out there too long. Second says, I wasted many precious years. I now repent with bitter tears. I'm tired of sin and strain, Lord. I'll trust thy love and believe thy word. My soul is sick, my heart is sore. My strength renewed, my hope restored. Lord, I'm coming home. Yes, listen. Yes. Praise God that he made a way for us to do what? Come home. Come home. Listen to another. Out of my bondage and sorrow and night, into the freedom, gladness and light. Out of my sickness, into health, out of my want, and into thy will. Out of my shameful failure and loss, into the glorious gains of the cross. Out of the earth's sorrows to the bond, out of life's storms and into thy calm. Out of distress in jubilant song. Out of the fears and dread of the tomb, into the joy and life of thy home. Out of the depths of ruin is told, into the place of the shelter and fold. Even the glorious face to behold. When you take the hymns, they will talk much about our sin. They will talk about our longing for the Lord because many of the writers have experienced those things. And there's something to experience sin, but to also experience the grace of God. That is far greater than my sin. I need the help of the Lord to live a Christ life. I need help. And we need to recognize that. That I cannot defeat Satan or sin in and of myself. And we need to see Satan as an arch enemy. And oftentimes we don't because we don't see him presently fighting against us. But every moment of the day, Satan is fighting mentally. For every thought that comes into your mind, it is not your thought. It is either a thought that is coming because of God or a thought of the enemy, Satan. Therefore, the Lord tells us to weigh every thought, to look at every thought, because everything that comes into your mind has to be challenged back to the Word of God. Is it of God or is it of Satan? Every thought, every action you take, is it of God or is it of Satan? Every action that you take has to be weighed and valued. Is it of God or is it of Satan? Every word you speak. That's why God says he will judge every word that cometh forth from our mouth. Is it of God or is it of Satan? For he has told us in James. 
Certain things can't come out of a certain well. Sweet water and bitter water cannot come out of the same well. Sin is constantly at our door. Yeah. And you need to understand that. Sin is constantly at your door. And you're the one that always has to make the decision over whether or not you will sin or you will flee from it. Even run from the very appearance of the sin. Because it has the ability to attract you and to deceive you and to will you in. And oftentimes sin hooks us and we're fighting with it and Satan has us on his line slowly pulling us in. Or he'll let us fight but he's slowly pulling us in unless God cuts the line. Unless God cuts the line. And the line isn't cut until I made a conscious decision mentally myself and cry out, God help me. God help me. In 1 Peter 10 to 12, again, we started with that some last week, that the angels desired to look into this thing called salvation. And the angels even looked and wondered, why is it that God helps us? Why is it? And in Luke, it speaks about the angels rejoicing every time one is saved. Because the angels understand without God's intervention into this thing, salvation would not be possible. Salvation would not be possible. And it's the angels who are able to watch God work, a work of redemption. What we often hear, and we don't see much of the work, is a person come forward and say, I accept the Lord. What we hear is that a person said, I've changed. What we hear is a person say that I repent. What we have not really seen is the awesome work of God in that life. And the angels, though, they've witnessed it. And they've seen it. And it amazes them. Because remember, when the angels sinned, they were sent straight to hell. No savior, no redemption. Straight to hell. Go with me to Hebrews chapter 5. Hebrews chapter 5. Because he takes us all the way back to Genesis, the writer of Hebrews. I want chapter 2 and verse 5, I'm sorry, chapter 2 and verse 5. He takes us back to Genesis. And he repeats something that is knowledgeable to us. That God put everything under the authority of who? A man. Everything. So in 2.5, he starts off. It is not to angels that he has subjected to come about which we are speaking. 
But there is a place where someone has testified. What is man that you are mindful of him? And you'll find that in Psalms 144.3. And the angels are asking God, why are you so mindful of man? And he goes on and he says, what is man that you are mindful of him, the son of man that you care for him? You made him a little lower than the angels. Catch that position. God purposely made man, what? Lower than the angels. And we have to understand that. We don't have the strength of the angels. We don't have the knowledge of the angels. And see, the angels don't need the latest car to get around in. And they'll beat you there. And he says, we were made a little lower than the angels. So there's something different about the angels and about us. He goes on and he continues to state. And this is what the angels recognize. You made him a little lower than the angels. You crowned him with glory and what? Glory and honor. You crowned man with glory and honor. You gave it to man. In putting everything under him. You gave man authority. And you put everything in a sense that you created under man. So in the garden with Adam, we, we see that God put Adam in charge of everything there that he created. He goes on a little further now. In putting everything under him, God left nothing that is not subject to him. Yet, at present, we do not see everything subject to him. So there's something left out. That man is not in control of. Though everything God created. God put under the authority of man. And then the scripture says yet. Not everything. So what is that thing that is not under man's control? We talked about it a little bit last week. He says yet at present. We do not see everything subject to him. But we see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels, now crowned with glory and honor because he suffered death. So that by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. So, so what is it that man has to learn to yet deal with? And that's death. Now, understand this death that he's talking about here is not physical death. For in the garden, Adam did not suffer a physical death. What he suffered was a spiritual death. A spiritual death. So everything is under man's control, but this thing called death. Spiritual death. Spiritual death. Now it's strange when you really study scripture that here's this spiritual death 
But here's also now what is called eternal life. Spiritual death is in the power of one, and eternal life is in the power of another. And he says that Christ tasted death for everyone. Now turn to 1 Corinthians 15. Because with death, there is this pain. There is this thing there, the scripture says. So it says in verse 55, where, O death, is your victory? Now, he's not, again, he's not talking about physical death. Where, O death, is your victory? For Satan thought he had won a victory when Adam spiritually died and was put out of the garden. Satan thought he had won a victory because in Satan's mind, he had now separated God and man because of sin. And he says, oh death, where's your victory? Oh death, where's your victory? Where, oh death, is your sting? The sting of death, catch it now, is sin. The sting of death is not a heart attack. The sting of death is not cancer. The sting of death is not some disease of the kidneys or the liver. The sting of death is sin. Is sin. Because it is sin that brings about spiritual death. Therefore, Satan desires to see us sin. And Satan stays at our door constantly to cause us to sin. Because the sin separates us from God. And when we are separated from God, we are experiencing a death. We are experiencing a death. Go to Romans 6, 23. Romans 6, we all know it pretty well. Look what he says. The wages of sin. In other words, when you sin, you're going to get paid for the sin. When you sin, there's the consequences to the sin. How long the consequences will last, nobody knows. But he says, for the wages of sin is death. 
And again, we're talking about spiritual death. Not physical death. Spiritual death. Oftentimes I think when we're reading the word death in the Bible, yes, there is that time when the death is used, when it's used towards a person in the physical part that he died. But we need to separate when he's talking about the physical death and the spiritual death. And here we see the two things come together in a sense. There is that spiritual death. For the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ our Lord. So there is one who has eternal life, which is Christ our Lord, and one who holds the power of death, who is Satan himself. And you have to understand that we're not talking about physical death because Satan cannot take your life without God grinning. Understand that point. But it is the spiritual death that Satan can cause to take place in your spiritual life. And the reason it is not physical death because Job makes it very clear that only God holds in his hand the power of death and life. In Job chapter 1. For the Lord giveth and the Lord taketh. Blessed be the name of the Lord. No one else holds that in the universe. Nobody else holds that power and that authority but God. And God has our days numbered. And God knows the day we were going to be born but God also knows the day that we're going to exit from here. God already knows that. And he's talking about spiritual death. In Romans 8, 38 and 39, the question is now, if he's talking about spiritual death, what is it that causes the spiritual death? Stay with me. Because we need to learn, what is it that really calls it? Oftentimes, we're only responders to sin. Somebody else has set the stage. Somebody else has deceived us. Somebody else has tricked us. Somebody else has called us to stumble. How many of you, with your eyes wide open, would just run off a cliff? Anybody in their rational mind and so forth would not do it. None of us here would just rationally desire to just hurt ourselves. But don't think Satan would not set the stage that would cause you to want to hurt yourself or to harm yourself or to destroy yourself. And it's called sin. It's called sin. So in Romans 8, getting verses 38 and 39, Go there with me. He says, For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers. Now, now catch what he's saying. I'm convinced that neither death or life can separate me from God. Whether I'm dead 
in the physical sense, I'd be separated from God. Death is only a transition to home with him. And while I'm living life, the things of life cannot separate me from the love of God. I don't care what the troubles I experience in life or what my life may have been at one point. That cannot separate me from the love of God or keep me from knowing God. Amen. Go a little further. Neither angels nor demons. Angels can't stop it and demons can't stop it. Both are the same created beings of God. Neither one of them can stop me from knowing God or being loved by God. Can't stop it. Can't separate us. They don't have that power or that authority. And that's the authority that Satan thought all of a sudden he had by what took place in the garden. He goes a little further. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. Catch that. The love of God that is where at? In Christ Jesus. Nothing can separate me from God. Now, stay with me in thought because in that verse it brought up demons. Go with me to Ephesians 3, 8 and 12. Ephesians chapter 3, 8 and 12. And we're going to get to the point, why do I really need him? He says, Paul is speaking, he says, Although I am less than the least of all God's people, this grace is given to me to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ, and to make plain to everyone the administration of this mystery, which for ages past was kept hid in God, who created all things. Now catch the verse that's following. He intended, his intent was that now through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known, now, now, catch what he's going to say, should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realm. The old Presbyterian and the old Reformed commentaries, they don't just say the mystery is the church. For in the church, they say, is the mysteries. The church is part of the mystery, but the church is the vehicle in which the mysteries is going to travel. And that is the grace of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. That is the forgiveness of God. 
That is the salvation of God. And that is all the things that God then unfolds in his people through the church. When you go into 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 6, you see another mystery, and it talks about the wisdom of Christ as a mystery and so forth. But that is then we also revealed again through the church. And he's doing all of this. And he had planned all of this before the foundations of the world was ever laid. That one day the church would come on the scene, but the mystery even within the church is bringing the Jew and the Gentile together. Is bringing all ethnic groups unto God through Christ. It is that thing of salvation that is being worked out. And he says he unfolds this. But who is he unfolding it before? Catch it now, because it's important to be able to see who is he unfolding this thing before? Because if we miss that, we miss the whole thing. His intent was that, in verse 10, his intent was that now through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms. Go to Ephesians 6.12 now. Remember, we're holding to heavenly realm, those in authority in the heavenly realm. 6.12. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers and against the authorities, against powers of darkness, dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil. Whereat? In the heavenly realm. God is displaying his glory of salvation unto man as the angels watch what he is doing through the church that carries the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ that within the gospel is the story of Christ and within Christ is salvation. Did you move with me? The church carries this wisdom and this mystery of the gospel that was not known until New Testament time, was not known really until the church comes into being. And then the gospel is spread, which is the life, the death, the burial, the resurrection, and the coming again of God and all that Christ had did in that time that he died for our sin he shed his blood and then all the gifts of the Holy Spirit that comes down because of that within the church the gifts of the Spirit in the church and all of that comes through Jesus Christ and he's displaying it all before a heavenly host of angels and demonic spirits and Satan himself. And they can't stop it. They can't stop it. 
And he says there again, that verse, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood. Who are we usually always fighting against? We fight against each other, not knowing every argument, every fight between us, every division between us, though it may look fleshly, is started by Satan. And sometimes we can't look beyond the person to see Satan. Remember when Jesus in Matthew 16 was telling the disciples about what was going to have to happen to him? That he would go to Jerusalem and die? Remember when Peter spoke up? Not so, Lord. And what did he say to Peter? Get thee behind me who? He didn't say Peter. Because he knew that thought and that expression came from where? Yes. And sometimes we need to look beyond the people who are in sin and see they've been captivated by Satan. And we need to even listen to them talk. And what we will hear come from their mouth sometimes is not biblical truths, not the will of God, but the things of Satan and the things of this world. And if we discern that, and that's why as Christians we are to have spiritual discernment that we can discern where these behaviors, where these actions, where these things are coming from. That we're not so much fighting the person as we are praying for and in a spiritual battle on behalf of that person. Because it is Satan who is the arch enemy. Not your brother, not your sister. Not the person in flesh and blood. But it is Satan who is the arch enemy. Now why do I need help? Let's go to Romans 12, verse 2. Why I need help? You are constantly being programmed by the God of this world. We are constantly being taught by the God of this world. Our educational system is constantly being bombarded by the God of this world. And Satan knows that one of the best areas to teach his philosophy is right there on the college level. He knows it's on the school level. He knows it's in the area of education. So he takes everything of God and he twists it. And if you remember, you go back into 1 Samuel, Samuel started a school of prophecy. It was Christian people who started all this stuff about education. And they got that from the God who they served because when God brought the Israelites out of Egypt, God began to educate them. And if you follow the pattern of the Old Testament as God educated, he expected more of them. Because to whom much is given, much is also required. And God continues to educate even today and enlighten us. He continues to do that. So in Romans 12, 2, he makes this statement. Catch it. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world. He said, stop. Don't be taught any longer by the patterns and the lifestyles of this world. Stop! Don't be educated 
by the God of this world and by the system of this world. Now understand this, all truth comes from God. And it may not be written in the Bible, but it's still valid, it's valuable, because it is the truth. But when truth is taken and twisted by Satan, it is no longer the truth. Let's talk about that just for a moment. Faith, I'm having some enjoyable discussions at time with Faith and her class and what she's learning at Afternoon. And one of the things she brought up is that uh, they have to come up with their definition of family and all these definitions of family today. And you have to understand, the Bible don't give all these definitions of family. And whenever one person is missed out of that biblical formation that is called a family, is no longer a family, but in the human race, we still call it a family. So we will even hear people say, I don't have children, I have two monkeys, but that's my family. Oh, I have this, or I have that. Hey, that's my family. Hey. Now, for my grandson, he thought Charlie was his brother, and Charlie's his dog. But him and Charlie, he grew up with Charlie. They've had Charlie ever since he was born, and had Charlie as a puppy. He would get on Charlie's back, and they would ride. Now Charlie got old. Now Charlie will nip at him when he's doing things Charlie don't like. But to Kai, he saw Charlie almost like a brother. They walked together. They played together. He'd throw the ball. Charlie go get it, bring it back. He's the only one they had. A biblical family is father, mother, children. Period. Then what God gives us a picture of is this. Is the widow. Now what's missing is the husband. But she was still considered family because she was married. But husband died in a war, died, so the widow was still considered family. That's all God has as a family. In our human way of life now, we say two men and a kid, they're a family. Two women and a kid, they're a family. There could be three of this. Two men and a woman and a child, that's a family. As long as it wants to be together, we call it a family. But yet, the government limits what is a family. <laughs> by taxes, not by saying sometimes what it is. And he says, stop being educated by this world. Stop it. Stop allowing the world to influence your thinking and how you will live. 
He says, stop being conformed to the patterns of life that you see around you. Stop it. Stop. Children, let me share something with you. Little Mark, uh, Delphi, give me your eyes. Don't let nobody tell you you don't have to listen to your mom and dad. Don't let no counselor, don't let no principal, don't let nobody tell you you don't have to listen to your mom and dad. That happened one time with me and my daughter. I'm at Firestone High School. And the counselor is going to tell my daughter to sit there while we discuss about her, about a behavior. And I told my daughter to get up and leave. And the counselor told my daughter, sit there. And I told that counselor, nobody controls my child but me. And told that child, get out. And they knew to get out, no matter what the counselor said. Because the bottom line is this here. As much as the government may want to say, they are the big parents. As long as I'm feeding, clothing, and housing, I was sitting in court with a parent, with two parents. And the referee was saying to them, you cannot lock your door until your child come in. No matter if the child want to come in at 1, 2, 3 o'clock in the morning, you can't lock your doors. You can't lock them out. Now, if you want to give them a key, fine. Then the referee went on explaining some more things they couldn't do. And I tapped the father on his shoulder because I'm sitting in the seat behind him. And I just whispered to him, tell the referee you turn over the responsibility and the custody of your child over to them and you will gladly pay whatever the state requires you to pay. And when he said that, the referee started backpedaling. You'll do what? You'll do what? Yeah. Because, see, if it's in my home, I'm going to control it. Now, if I'm that way, God says judgment begins where at? In his house. And if you're in my house and you call yourself my child, either I control you or I don't. But if you're in my house, you're going to obey me and do what I asked you to do. And he says, stop being taught by the word. Now, listen to what he said. This is why I need Christ now. If God says stop, he has to offer something else. And if he offers something else, he has to give me an example and he has to give me a teacher. He's done both. He gives me the example in Jesus Christ. He's given me the teacher in the Holy Spirit. He's given me his book to learn from. Look what he says. He says, do not conform any longer to the patterns of this world, but be transformed, be changed by what? The renewing of your mind. So now you're going to renew your mind, but what are you going to renew it with? 
So God has to give you something. If he says, renew your mind, he got to give you something that allows you to renew your thinking that will go against the thinking of the world. And that's his word. That's what's so important. That's why Satan wants to keep us out of the word. That's why Satan doesn't want us to have fire. Amos says there's going to be a famine in the land for the word of God. That there's going to be a hunger one day for the word of God. Isn't it strange that we got sneak Bibles into China for people who desire to have them and want them? But here in America, you can get it and we don't want it. Isn't it strange in airplanes, you have to sneak the Bible or just one little book at a time or one little chapter at a time into the hands of somebody? And sometimes the only thing you're doing is sneaking one verse into the hand because the person is hungry for the word of God. And here we have it and we don't even want it. And he says, stop and renew your mind. Go to 1 Timothy 4.2. 1 Timothy 4.2. Look what he says. And this is why he's saying renew the mind. Remember what he said? No longer conform to the teachings or that which is of the, this world. And he gives us a reason behind that. This is why I need Jesus. He got to renew this mind. He got to renew my thoughts. He got to renew me. If not, I think like the world. If I think like the world, I act like the world. For as a man thinketh what? So is he. That's why we see so much corruption in the church. That's why sometimes we see so much sin in the church. And guess what? The church isn't supposed to say a thing. Because I made up my mind I'm going to do this. And nobody's going to tell me if it's right or wrong. No, if the church is going to be the church, if it's sin, we point it out. If it's sin, we tell you it's sin. And we do it in love. And a lot of people interpret when we do the correction, we don't love you. We love you because we do correct you. If I didn't love my children, I would have never spanked them. I would have never corrected them. I would have never taught them. But because I do love them and love them dearly, I'll do all the things necessary for them to be successful in life and to serve the Lord Jesus Christ. For the word says, train up in the child the way that they should go. Not the way they want to go, but the way that they should go. 1 Timothy 4, verse 1. Underline something and catch this. The Spirit clearly says that in the latter times some will abandon the faith and follow deceitful what? Spirits. Now, now catch this other part. And things taught by who? By demons. So demons are busy teaching. You need to understand that. Demons are busy teaching people wrong behavior. Demons are busy teaching people to hate the things of God. Demons are behind prayer not being in school. Demons are behind 
a picture of Jesus not hanging in the school. Demons are behind the Ten Commandments not being accepted or posted here or there. Satan, the God of this world, is out just attacking the church and the people of God in many different subtle ways. All this stuff of young men not being responsible with themselves is behind this thing of Satan. Why? Because God gave man every problem we have, every problem we have, every problem with our children, with our women, with our money, with everything, is that one person's fault called man. And you wonder why a lot of men are not in church. Because they're not willing to shoulder the responsibility that God has given them. But yet they're being taught by Satan. And many of them father kids out here and father kids here and father kids here. And never once pick up their responsibility. And oftentimes we put the blame on the woman. When the blame really is the man. That did not release the woman of her responsibility. But God gave man control of everything. And Satan has taken men out of the church. Many of our church sit void and empty of men. Men don't want to accept responsibility. They don't want to accept leadership. They don't want to be accountable for this. They don't want to be accountable for that. And guess what the Lord said? And this is a biblical principle. If you don't know how, if you don't learn really leadership in the church, you really don't learn good leadership in the home. For he says, boy, if a man doesn't first take care of his home, how can he what? But he learns it from the church to go home and practice it. And then God brings him back into his church. For a man who ruleth his home well has the ability to rule the church well. But oftentimes as men, we constantly run from any type of responsibility. And everything falls upon us. And oftentimes we don't want to accept that. Most of the men in prison would love to see a father. We watched this Oprah thing about a month ago about absentee fathers. And we're not talking about kids 16, 17, 18 years old. We're talking about men who were 50 and 60 years old who didn't know who their fathers were, never saw their father, their fathers never, how they longed to have a relationship with a father. And then when they brought their children on the show the next time, these men did not know how to relate to their own kids. Because they were never fathered. They were never shown love by a father. They never seen a man take responsibility. They've never seen a man do what a man needs to do under God, under the authority of God. And we wonder why our country and our society is so messed up. I'd rather see these seats all filled with men. If we go back to an old Jewish culture, who went into the inner part of the sanctuary? Men. 
the women had an outer court because the responsibility was for the man. And Paul said it right. Women, if you want to learn something, you go home and who taught you? But the man had to have something to teach. And today too many men don't have nothing to teach. What time is dinner? But remember what that text says. Taught by demons. Taught by demons. Demons are busy teaching. Satan has asked to shift each one of us in a sense. Go to Luke 22. Because the whole process is that oftentimes we just leave this with Peter. But Peter's not the only one. We see a Paul on the Damascus road sincerely in his mind serving the Lord and what he had been taught. But now he had to be taught by Jesus. Paul's mind had to be renewed. So Paul knows what he's talking about when he's talking about renew the mind. And not to be taught by the things of this world. Paul's mind had to totally be changed from his Jewish, Pharisaical ways to an apostle and to a person who loved the Lord Jesus Christ. He simply says there, Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to ship you as wheat. Very well said, he is the accuser of the brother. And he stands before God. He said, can I try this one? Can I try that one? Okay, you tell me this one loves you. Just let me do this to her. Let me do that to him. Just let me do a little bit. Let me take that from them. And Satan is constantly at us to fall. Satan said, yeah, just let me get the right young woman in his face. Watch him. He called himself a faithful husband. Let me get the right one right there in front of him. Hey. Yeah, he out of town now. He don't know what's going on. Uh, see, won't nobody back in Akron know that he... Women get in their mind. There's got to be something better than this. I ain't putting up with this no more. And all of a sudden, somebody out there saying, here, kitty, kitty, kitty. Here, kitty, kitty, kitty. And they begin to stroke. What does the kitten do when you stroke his back? The tail goes up and begins to purr. See? And that there woman's, well, I better not say that way, but begins to purr. <laughs> because somebody's stroking. Satan desires to shift each and every one of us. Satan does. Satan is seeking who he might destroy, First Peter tells us in 5.8. He's roaring around like a lion, desiring to destroy you. And he knows he can destroy you with sin. He knows he can destroy your testimony with sin. 
He knows he has a way of quieting your mouth if you sin. Oh, you praise him. But when you get in sin, watch the praise go down. When you get in sin, watch your own behavior. It changes you. It puts you in bondage. Then he says, boy, because of Jesus, I have this help. That if I will confess my sins, it says, he will wash me. He will purify me from all sin. Do I need the help of Jesus? Yes, I do. Yes, I do. I need his help. Because I need to be cleansed. And then he comes back and says, Satan holds this power of spiritual death. Turn with me to Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 14. Because we need to understand that he's the one who really holds this. For it says in verse 14, Since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity, so that by his death he might destroy him who holds the power of death, and that is the devil. He's not talking about physical death, he's talking about spiritual death. For Satan comes to kill and to steal and to rob and to destroy your life and your testimony when it comes to the things of the Lord. You might be on, boy, first base, and you might, oh, I'm a Christian, but you're not home yet. And Satan's going to try to throw you out between first and second, and between second and third, and even in the very last stretch, He's going to try to throw you out. And you need to understand that. For he holds the power over spiritual death. Not physical death, but spiritual death. He causes you to be able to cease being used of God. And see, God is the one who holds eternal life. He gives us life. But in that life is this instructions. Obey me. Obey me. We was having a thing down at our Burger King, our meeting with the men, and one of the men said, you know, the greatest thing that God likes is the praises of his name, the praises of his name. And somebody asked me, well, what do you think? No, it's not the praises of his name. Samuel says, obedience is better than sacrifice. Now, out of obedience comes the praise. Out of the obedience comes everything else. But the greatest thing that God desires from us is our obedience. Is our obedience. Is our obedience. In Hebrews 2, 7, he said, man may Lord lower than the angels. He explains that. If we don't have the strength of the angels, and we haven't seen what the angels have seen, don't we need Jesus? We need Jesus. Why? Remember what Jesus said to Philip? If you've seen me, you've seen who? You've seen the Father. Only through Jesus Christ do we have a consciousness of God. Only through Jesus Christ do we really catch 
an imagery of God, an image of God, the character of God, that causes us then to have a consciousness of God. Well, Jesus said to Philip, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And that's why it's good for us to have a good, wholesome view of Jesus Christ. And then again, both Timothy and Peter, the false teachers that take place. Go back to first. Go, 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 go to Second Peter with me, two, one through three. Second Peter, two, one through three. Catch this, and, and then ask yourself this. Is it happening today? Into that area. But there were also false prophets among the people. Just as there will be false teachers among you. Do we need Jesus? Do we need this word? Do we need the Holy Spirit? He didn't come to help the angels. He came to help Adam's descendants. It's Adam's descendants that can be deceived. It's Adam's descendants that can be lied to. It's Adam's descendants that the false prophets are out. Now, now. Uh, now, come on with me. But there were also false prophets among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you. They will secretly introduce destructive heresies, even denying the sovereign Lord who bought them, bringing swift destruction on themselves. Now, catch verse 2. Many will follow their shameful ways and will bring the way of truth into disrepute. In their now, now catch verse 3. In their what? Let me share something with you. Everything in the pulpit is not there for your benefit. Some in the pulpit are only there for what they can want. A man is worthy of his hire. Not saying a man shouldn't be paid. But you need to be identified, to be able to identify those that are doing it just for greed. Every time I go out and speak sometime, I even tell the church, and I even give it back to them. It's a privilege for me to preach the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And every time I open my mouth, I don't need to get paid for it. It's a privilege. It's an honor to be called of God to be able to break this word of life. And he says, boy, in their greed, these teachers will exploit you with stories. Now, we can put another word in there today with entertainment, with showmanship with charismatic You are the only one who can really say if you're really being fed 
biblical truth. And that's what's important, this book. Not your entertainment. Not that you go away from here talking about, boy, didn't he preach today? And somebody asked, well, what did he say? I don't know, but he preached. Elaine was asking a young man who was doing his trial sermon. And we've known him for some years. And he did his trial sermon over at another church. And he said, he was telling Elaine, because his child goes to the daycare, I really preached. I really preached. So Elaine asked him, well, what was your topic? What was your subject? I don't know. The Holy Spirit got hold of me, and I just went. People, this is too serious. Because what we're dealing with is your place in heaven or your place in hell. What we're dealing with is how you live for Christ or how you will choose not to live for Christ. What we're dealing with is your education of the things of God to the people of God. And it is in this process that we're in now that we renew the mind, that we build up the mind in the things of God. Last one, got two more. If you choose to live godly, you will suffer persecution. And in that same text, it talks about the imposters. Do we need to be protected from persecution and imposters. We need Christ. We need his help. We need him. And the last one, in Jeremiah 17, he says, the heart, and he's talking about whose heart? Your heart is deceitfully wicked. And who knows it but who? But God. Now, who has to reveal you to yourself? Only God can reveal your heart to yourself. Only God can really reveal you to you. Because sometimes you think, boy, you are something. And God tells us, don't measure ourselves. Ourselves. Don't think more of ourselves than what? And then God comes in and really reveals to us what we really are. Boy, we think we're something. We think we're dynamite. We think we're something unique. We think we're something special. And then God steps in and really shows us. He doesn't do that to degrade you. He doesn't do that to put you down. He's revealing the areas that we need to work on in our lives. He's really showing us what we would really be like if it were not for him. He's showing us the work that he's dealing with. 
For he who has begun a good work in you, he says he will continue it until you see Christ face to face. And then when you see Christ face to face, you will become like him. But until that day, God is working in us. He's revealing our hearts. He's revealing our thoughts. And as we go back to the word, the word reveals us. The, the word reveals that we really love him. The word really reveals that he's in first place in our lives. And the word declares whether we're godly men or godly women. Because it portrays our attitudes and our behaviors. It brings it. And when we look in the mirror, we have to really look at ourselves. Do we need him? He's here to help us. But we are the children of Abraham. And he is here to minister to us. He's here. Father, we're so thankful that, oh God, that you're ministering to us. And that, Lord, you have sent your ministering angels to even minister to us. And you've given us the gift of your Holy Spirit to minister to us and to use his power, to use his gifts, to have wisdom that cometh from above. And if we lack wisdom, all we have to do is ask. And that, Lord, you've given us the gift of health, the gift of administration. You've given us the gift of prophecy that we know how to 